0: It's been great preparing this week. God sent a storm for me. He sent wind and rain. (laughs) I thought on Tuesday, I thought I'd just nip out of school for a few hours and go and do a bit of Jonah. And as I battled my way into the car through the rain and as I got in the car and I drove down the lane, some of you might know the lane, and and there it was, the tree that had blown down across it. And I was like, yeah, this is storm week. (laughs) This is storm week. Uh, Dick, feel like you've been reading my mind this week. The first word on my page is Jack. You know, Jack started us off brilliantly last week, and I just want to encourage Jack um, because he he challenged us with aligning our own hearts for God's mission. Um, And some of us have have seen Jack grow through the years. Um, And actually, Jack, I see your heart for God's mission and I want to encourage you, I want to thank you for starting Jonah off. And uh, keep going, bro. Keep going. I know you've sacrificed for that. Um, and, and what Jack showed us, that um, in this story of Jonah, we see God's call on his life. We see God say, come on, Jonah, off you go to Nineveh. Um, but we also see that Jonah jumps on a boat in completely the opposite direction to Tartish, Tarshish. Tarshish. So that's where we're starting this week. We're on a boat. It's stormy. Come with me. Hold on tight. Um, And it's easy, I think, isn't it, as we sort of come to this um, this week, that we can look at Jonah in absolute despair. We can just go, what are you doing? You know, it's just so obvious, isn't it? He just had to do what God told him. And it'd have been fine, wouldn't he? But to be honest, I don't think we know what would have happened to Jonah if he had gone to Nineveh. We don't know that. He could just have easily ended up in the midst of a great storm. You know, in the New Testament, we see Paul. We see Paul the Apostle. And he faithfully follows God's call on his life. And he ends up in a great storm. You know, a storm that was so fierce that we're told that it continued raging until the entire crew gave up any hope of being saved. So it's not a great compliment to the character of Jonda to simply judge him as disobedient. And say, well, you know what? He got what he deserved, didn't he? Should have listened. Told him. You know, we need to bear in mind that Jonah is a highly esteemed, successful prophet from Galilee. This, this isn't the first time we see Jonah in the Bible. Jonah appears in two kings. We meet him as a Hebrew prophet during the reign of King Jeroboam II. And Jonah foretells of God's intention to save Israel. And everything that Jonah prophesies, it comes true. He is well known for his faithful ministry. He's experienced in hearing from God, and he delivers God's message. And we're going to see throughout this book that Jonah knows his theology. He knows his stuff, and if he was here today... Actually, I think we'd respect him. He was highly regarded in his day. You never know. We might even consider him as our associate pastor. His track record is really good. You know, that's the Jonah we are meeting. And so I think the right way to come to this passage is with a huge amount of humility. We've got to ask ourselves, how does a faithful faithful believer ends up in this situation how does a faithful believer end up going against what God has said because you know when I look at Jonah I think there but for the grace of God go I you know Jonah troubles me he makes me think how do I know whether I've taken a wrong turn you know, my life isn't exactly plain sailing. You know, Did I jump on board the wrong ship? Am I, am I going in the wrong direction? Is it, is it my own fault that life seems tough? And if it is, what do I do? So that's the question, isn't it? And I want to suggest this morning... That what this passage helps us to see is that Jonah flees God's presence because Jonah fears God's plans. Jonah God Jonah flees God's presence because Jonah fears God's plans. And so as we come and we we look at this passage today, we're going to focus really on those three things God's presence, Jonah's fears, and God's plans. Um, It's going to be a really great help to me today. If you have got a Bible, if you've got it there on your phone, by all means pick that up. Um, If you don't have one, there's some at the end of the rows. Let's have a a pass through um, and have a look at God's word with me as we begin this morning. And I'm going to start reading uh, just at verse 4. And then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us. And he won't perish. So God sends a great wind and a violent storm. I mean, it doesn't matter where Jonah goes, does it? You know, God is still there. We know that. We know that we can't run from the presence of God. Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there, your hand will lead me. And your right hand will lay hold of me. God's presence is like gravity, isn't it? You know, say I decide I don't get this gravity thing. I mean, I just science. It's all a bit too fanciful for me. All this pull of the earth and the sun and the moon on the earth's surface. I just just decide it's not relevant. I mean, I can think what I like. If I don't believe in gravity, I'm not going to start floating around in the air just because I don't get it. I mean, and God is like that. He's present everywhere. He created the earth and everything in it. The sky, the land, the moon, and the sun. And he loves it, and he wants it to be good. And he isn't going to stop being here just because you decide he's not. God's presence is always here. I don't know if uh, any of you have played peekaboo with young children. Peekaboo. Yeah, yeah, we've all played it. Uh, children are fascinated by this game, Peekaboo, um, and and the reason is apparently is according to psychologists, when you do this with a young child, Peekaboo, uh, they're trying to work out if they're still there when you don't look at them. They're trying to work out if uh, am I still here because she's not looking. at me? It's it's mad, isn't it? Um, and philosophers ponder. A kind of a very similar thing. If a tree falls down in a forest and nobody is there to hear it, does it make a sound? If a tree falls down in a forest and nobody's there to hear it, does it make a sound? It, it, it's mad, isn't it? But, but we play peekaboo with God, don't we? I mean, how often do you wonder if he's still there? If you haven't kind of spoken to him for a while, you know, oh, God, bring your presents. It's like, you must be going, yeah, hi. <laughs> you know, we're wondering, oh, I haven't read my Bible today. It's still there. It's like, yeah, I'm still here. God is omnipresent. God is omnipresent. He's always everywhere, which to me is a huge relief. Because that means that God's presence in my life does not depend on me. God's presence in my life does not depend on me. You know, maybe my experience of God's presence depends on me. You know, my willingness to be in God's presence, that's a different thing. But God's presence, pff, I ain't going anywhere. And so we can see in our passage that as Jonah tries to flee, God is still there. And actually, he's in control not only of Jonah's life, but of the life of those around him. He's present with the sailors, even though they don't know it. God is there. So let's have a look at what he's up to. The sailors said to each other, come on, let's cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And so they asked him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Interestingly, the sailors are casting lots. Now that's a really biblical thing to do. It's not like a gambling thing. Um, Proverbs sixteen thirty three tells us that the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision comes from the Lord. You know, casting lots is seen throughout the Bible. This idea, um, not of so much of rolling the dice, but a, an idea of maybe taking two stones and, and then they would have different markings on them. And the one with a certain marking would be the one that kind of falls on a head or that makes a decision. Um, in Leviticus, in fact, uh, in chapter 16, um, when Aaron is setting up the temple, God says to him, cast lots. There's a couple of goats here. You've got to cast lots on them. So, so it's, it's something that God's instructed. And it's brilliant, isn't it? These non-believers are like doing godly things. We often see that, don't we, in our own community. Um, you know, people are doing God things without even knowing it. Like, God's there. He's in control. Um, so when I, when I see these sailors casting lots, I ridiculously have got really excited <laughs> about these sailors, that, that they're doing God stuff. God is working. You know, and as Jack said last week, God has a heart for mission. I mean, these sailors are obviously seeking. They know they need saving. They're calling out to whichever God is going to save them. They're seekers. They are weirdly caught up in God's world and God's ways without even knowing it. And so when we think about mission and aligning our hearts with God's mission, if you're thinking, oh, I don't know, how do I do God's mission? You know, just look for where God is working and join in. Yeah. Just join in because, as Dick said, it's just happening. And, and if you're thinking, I don't know where I fit into that, I don't know how to do it, please do talk to Dave, talk to Dick, talk to Jack. There's, God is working. Uh, just join in. Just join in. Um, Because God is present, he is working, and he's present here with the sailors. But the other thing that is present is fear. And fear is at the very centre of our passage, right here in verses 9 and 10. As Jonah answers the sailors and he says, I'm a Hebrew, the right translation for this is, and I fear the Lord. It's not wrong to say worship. Worship is a sort of response. But in the in the ESV and the King James, more accurate here. What, what um, Jonah is claiming is to fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them. And they asked him, what have you done? They knew he was running from the Lord because he already told them. So Jonah is fearing the Lord, and the sailors are terrified. Now, not only is Jonah just a remarkable story, um, but it's also a remarkably written piece of literature. Um, And when I claim that fear is at the centre, it's because of the way that Jonah is written. I'm just going to indulge for just one moment on that literary piece, which is called a chiasm. And the chiasm here looks like that. Now, I realize I'm probably more excited about that than you are. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But there are four chiasms in Jonah, so trust me, this isn't the first time you're going to hear this. Um, because there are more to come. But very simply, what it means is that in this passage, some of the verses lead into a point, and the rest of the verses lead out of the point. And there is a point at the top, my verses 9 and 10, on which the whole thing hinges. And the beauty of it, for those who are still with me, is that it's symmetrical. <laughs> It's beautifully symmetrical. So even you would see here that right at the beginning, God throws a storm. You've got sailors hurling stuff into the sea, and right at the end, you've got Jonah being hurled. And as you work up to the middle, you see the sailors' fear on both sides. You see sailors trying to save the ship, and then you see the sailors are trying to save the ship. Um, The sailors are blaming people. The sailors don't want to be blamed. Um, What caused this, and the confession from Jonah, it all kind of leads to this central point which is what I really want to show you that is fear is present here and it is the absolute turning point it is the absolute turning point point. and as Jonah says those words though as Jonah says these words I fear the God of heaven I'm thinking to myself Really? Really? I mean, we haven't really seen that in Jonah's actions, have we? I mean, I'm trying to be on Jonah's side here, but I think we are right to hear the words he speaks and notice that his actions are different. His actions do not reflect the words that he speaks. And I think Jonah genuinely believes what he says, It's not that Jonah has in any way stopped believing in God. He hasn't stopped thinking of himself as someone who belongs to God. When Jonah's asked about his identity, he says, I'm a Hebrew. I'm one of God's people who fears God. He still believes it. But notice how his focus has shifted from fearing God to fearing for himself. That's why he didn't go to Nineveh. He shifted his focus from God to himself. And there, but for the grace of God, go I. And I suspect many of us here, we live busy friends' lives. We've we've got loads of friends, we've got families to think about, we've got jobs to think about, we've got businesses, we've got churches to run. We have a complicated interdependence of activity and people, and we start to worry. What if something goes wrong? You know, what will we do? How can we keep all the plates spinning? How can we keep it all up? How on earth are we going to look after all the people who need us? God, how can you expect me to go to Nineveh to be with those evil, undeserving people when I've got things to do here. What about me? You know, if, if Jonah is disobedient, we all stand. We all stand guilty in that place. What about me? Jonah boards a ship to Tarshish when he shifts his focus from God To himself and he wants God to focus on him but in contrast though the sailors they hear Jonah's words they have a revelation of who is behind this storm the God the one who made the sea and they're terrified I mean, literally, they suddenly have a great fear of the great fear who brought the great storm. And actually, their fear has shifted from themselves to God. They see the power of, uh, of God, and they are scared. They are like, what are you going to do? What is this God Going to do? What does he have planned? And so we come to our final point, which is God's plan. As everything has flowed into this point of fear, we see the change. We see things turn for the sailors. And let's see what flows out in the final verses. It's verse eleven. The sea was getting rougher and rougher and so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know it's my fault that this great calm, this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried to the Lord, O oh Lord, O Lord. Please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So God's plans. You know, I think every time I speak here, I say this. Um, but I'm going to say it again. We do not believe in a God whose plans are random or are kept secret from us. We do not have a God who is making us guess what his will for our life is. Um, God's plans are good and they are there for us to see. In the book of Romans, we know God tells us that God works for the good of those who love him. And in Jeremiah, God tells us that the plans are to prosper and not to harm, to give a hope and a future. Um, the Bible is a complete story from Genesis to Revelation of how a loving and powerful God brings his people back into relationship with him forever. It is a complete story. You are in it and you are part of it. And what happens next in this story shouldn't really be a surprise because we've seen it before. We've seen it in the Old Testament and we see it again in the New Testament because God's plans never change. It's not a completely random idea when Jonah tells the sailors to throw him into the sea. It might sound a little crazy, but it's not random. It is a beautiful demonstration of Jonah's theological and absolute understanding of God's plans. You might remember earlier that I mentioned casting lots. I was quite excited about them. Um, those lots are cast in Leviticus on the head of two goats. And the one on whose head the lot falls becomes the scapegoat. Poor little it. So back in Leviticus, the high priest is told that he must lay hands on this goat. And he sends the goat into the wilderness to die. This is the goat who atones for the sins of the people so that the high priest can enter the holy of holies. So Jonah knows that there is no salvation without sacrifice. There is no salvation without sacrifice. The lot has fallen on his head And it is he who must go if they are to be saved. Jonah is the one who must go overboard and carry the guilt away from the ship. Now the sailors, they can't quite believe that that's how it works. I mean, surely that would make them look bad. You know They don't want to be a part of that. There must be something that they are able to do. And so they row. They are in a great, squalling, terrifying storm. The rain is beating down. The ship is going like this. It is breaking up. And even though Jonah sets the answer before them, sacrifice, grace, they row. They still want to be the ones who save themselves. There but for the grace of God go I. And I know there are many people here who have been in many storms. And I know that in those times sometimes we just work harder and harder and harder to try to sort things out. There must be something I can do. And then we remember that the turning point is in the fear of God. And in the midst of that storm, To sit and just say, do you know what? I give in. I surrender and I look to God. And I see the power of God. And I fall and I worship. And this is the power of the same one who stood up in a boat years later and calmed the storm. Jesus, years later, God is still present. He's in the boat with the disciples. He sent them into the storm. They were afraid for their lives. And he says to the storm, be still. And he says to the disciples, why are you still afraid? Do you have no faith? Who is this Jesus? He's, he's asked by the people for a sign that he is really God. God. And Jesus tells the people, I sent you a sign. Jonah. If you're looking for a sign, this is it. I sent you a sign. Jonah. Just as he sacrificed himself, so I will sacrifice myself for you. The scapegoat, the sacrifice, the saviour. The story doesn't change. For you, Jesus sacrificed his life. Jesus the Saviour. God's plans to save are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The Old Testament foreshadows the New, and the New Testament. Explains the old. Yes, God has a heart for mission, He has a heart to bring His people back into His presence forever. Jonah fled from God's presence because he was afraid of God's plans. And he ended up in a storm. But this was a grace storm. A storm where we see God's plans to save. The turning point is is the fear of God, the recognition of God's power and surrendering into His presence. This is not a storm that we should try and avoid by the grace of God. This is a storm into which God's grace is found as we surrender to it. God uses storms. God uses storms. But if in the storm, like Paul, like Jonah, like the disciples, if in the storm God can reveal something more of himself, to us, or if he can reveal himself for the first time to those who are not yet saved, then wouldn't it be worth it? Wouldn't it be worth it to have surrendered to God's presence amidst the storm and to have joined his mission? to experience firsthand his amazing grace and i know that for some of us that storm is hard i'm going to ask uh, the band to come up to lead us but i just just have one more storm to mention on the 10th of may in 1748 john newton He was trying to steer his ship through a terrible storm. He thought he would die, all would be lost. And in panic, he cried out, Lord, have mercy on us. And the ship and the crew, they survived. John Newton went on um, to to work um, with slavery and, and to write. And surely his was a grace storm. Amazing Grace is the hymn that he wrote as he first believed. And so I just, as we come to a a time now, just gonna ask you to stand and sing that hymn. Amazing Grace.